Hi, I'd like to introduce you to the B&B principle. It's a principle I created to respond to what I call the TS cube generation. I've identified this generation as TS cubed. TS thrill seekers, TS truth seekers, TS triple speed seekers. And in my teaching, it was a problem for me because to me, any philosophical question would immediately send me straight back to Rambam's 13 Fundamentals. And I had this feeling, how on earth am I teaching 13 Fundamentals in about two minutes to a truth-seeking, thrill-seeking, in triple-speed time generation. So I kind of threw my hands up to heaven, wondering how on earth us educators are going to pull this off. And I prayed and Hashem responded to my prayer and gave me this idea to create the B&B principle, which makes the claim that you can explain the entire methodology of the concept behind Rambam's 30 fundamentals in about two minutes. It's called the B&B principle. The first B stands for birthday and the second B stands for bleach. And it states the following. Wherever you go on planet Earth, you will never bump into somebody who doesn't have a birthday. Birthdays inform people that before this day they didn't exist. Having not existed, they couldn't have possibly created themselves. Having not created themselves, they cannot possibly know on their own what to do with the life they didn't create. Therefore, be. B is representative of the word bleach and it represents the fact that whatever existed before we arrived on this world will not change its reality to accommodate us, like bleach. By the time we arrived, it was not a drink. So that even if I beg, plead, cajole, bribe, threaten, explain logically to the bleach, that it's anyway wet and in a bottle and I have nothing to drink, it will not become a drink for me. Why? Because it's independent of me. How do we know? Because it existed before I arrived. It's not motivated to accommodate me. It's not seeking my approval. It doesn't need me. It was here before me. If I want to remain safe from bleach, I am dependent on the people in the know who were here before me to share with me the rules of bleach. Once I have this technical information, I would become obligated to accommodate them to remain safe and happy. Which means that all of life is a massive attempt to discover the laws of reality that were here before our birthdays. When we know those laws, we will then be obligated to accommodate them to remain safe and happy. That's the B&B principle. In my every episode, I will recap the B&B principle. Okay, the topic we are exploring today is for whose sake were we created? Philosophically and theologically, there are um, many um, views and opinions and theories and why we were created. Why, why does Shem create us? Why, he obviously didn't need us to exist. 
because our birthday told us that. Because our birthday told us that he was here before us. And since he was here before us, he obviously existed before us. Now, since he existed before us, he obviously was doing very well without us. So if he was doing very well without us, why did he create us? If you're going to say create us for our sake, you're going to run into a problem that, number one, it can't be perfect. Because if it's good for us and not good for him, then it's imperfect. So you can't have a perfect God doing something imperfect. He can't pull off a better plan. He's perfect. Who's stopping him? That's one problem. Creation has to be good for us and good for him. If creation is suffering for him, but good for us, that's equally as imperfect. Because why should he put himself in a position of suffering in order to benefit us? He's perfect. Can't take care of himself. Another problem that you have with this is that if he only created us for our sake, that we can never ever be in a position that we do something for his sake. Because he doesn't have a sake. He's only created for our sake. So you can never do something lishma, which is the highest form of service. You can never do something shame if you were only created for your sake. All you are basically is a self-serving vending machine, constantly investing and investing, investing, investing in your own pleasure. The only thing you can do is, as life goes on, become more and more narcissistic and more and more self-perpetuating and self-sustaining and self-satisfying because I was created for my sake anyway. As if Hashem has nothing out of it. How, and it, it contradicts the mission that says, Don't be like servants who serve Hashem in order to receive reward, but be like servants who serve Hashem without receiving reward. Meaning, do something lishma, totally for his sake. Well, for his sake means he has to have a sake. If he doesn't have a sake and he creates us only for our sake, I can never do anything lishma. I can never, re- I can never be- become larger than myself. I can never become, I never, never grow out of my innate, intrinsic, basic hum- human selfishness. Because I'm pre-programmed only to benefit myself, not to benefit him. So what kind of life is that? It's an animalistic life. How am I different to the local cat? As a matter of fact, the local cat is superior to me. He can run quicker than me. So that's, and then that's another theory. You tell me all the theories you know why Shem created us. Then that, that would be... So then, so then the theory is that it's Hashem's nature to be good. Therefore, he created someone on whom to bestow his goodness. So that's for his sake, not for my sake. I'm just... I just learned that Derek Akai was one of those no. things. So whatever you just said somehow is a little bit contradictory to that. For sure. If he, he, he created me just because he needs someone to be nice to, it's like thanks but no thanks. I, I, apart from the fact, I didn't notice that in a world of suffering, really now. Because you need someone to be nice to, therefore I, sh- I need to suffer. That's quite an imperfect existence. For everyone, actually. Apart from the fact that... So that's one theory, yeah. So then that's an imperfect existence, really. It's one of the theories. What other theories do you know of why he created us? 
Ramchal says that actually, person was created in order to have pleasure from Hashem. So that means it's for my sake. So I'm back to square one. I'm basically a selfish being. So don't blame me for being selfish. That's what you're creating me for. And I don't have a way of getting out of it. Where am I going? Right? Is that a problem or not? It's a big problem. So then, actually, if you ask Hashem, in Apostle Kedushaya, he outright says, Amzu This nation, the Jewish nation, I created for me that they should praise me. That sounds like he created us that he needs to be praised. So we're basically his pawns and his puppets. That's not very impressive, is that? For an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good-hearted God. That's not very impressive. Because you need someone to praise you, and that's why I have to suffer. Yeah, exactly. What you want from my life? Okay, then you've got another theories. Um, a part of this one is Derech Hatov Hashem says, create us for our sake. Chesed keel kolayom. Oilam chesed yibone. Ramchal says that it's because Hashem created the world for kindliness, to give us pleasure, to give us goodness, to give us greatness. Why? Because that's his nature. Kilchafet chesed hu. Because he desires chesed, desires to give good. And there's another theory in Medrashan Chomapashas Nosai, Oyste Zayn, that says, that Hashem created us because he wanted He wanted to live down here with us. It's a very well-known, oft-repeated theory that uh, Hashem wanted deliberately a human being of flesh and blood. If he doesn't eat for six hours, he's out of it. If he doesn't sleep for 12 hours, he's out of it. He's got issues, he's got temper tantrums, he's got worries, he's got concerns, he's got anxieties, he's got disappointment. He's got ego, he's got lots and lots and lots of contaminated thoughts and nonsense going on in his life, falls apart. This puny, helpless, defenseless, pitiful, a little bit pathetic person goes along and he just brings Hashem into his life and finds strength in the most unlikely places and finds in his heart to love Hashem no matter what. And he's most nefesh for mitzvahs that he doesn't understand, that he for the life of him can't figure out what's the rationality behind it. The only thing that makes sense to him is because the Creator told me to do this, and he finds pleasure in that. And he brings Hashem into the darkest nook and crannies and corners of his life, and he spreads his light over, and he learns to be a little less selfish and a little more giving. And these things is another theory why Hashem created us in order. So this sounds like we were created to fulfill his tava. He had a tava, he had a desire to live down here with us. That's why he created us so pathetic. In order for him to fulfill that desire, he would have to create us pretty pathetic. So again, you could turn around and say, thanks for your tava, I need to be pathetic. That's a problem, or what? Is it? Is that a problem? That's uh, the million dollar question. Can it be for both? It has to be for both of our sake because if he's perfect, then he's going to have to somehow pull it off that it'll be for both of our sake. He is perfect. He is perfect. So happens to be there's only one of him, so he's going to have to be perfect. No, if it's a, the oneness of him forces his perfection, there's nowhere else to go for anything else. 
There's only one of you. So that's... Um, what other theories do you know why he created us? Right, to be moist and effish for his sake. Okay. Um, to give us cha, that's again, that's for our sake. Another sake he created to us for the sake of the Torah, that people should keep the Torah, right? Like, I'm sorry, keep the Torah. I believe that Hashem said, if not for uh, my covenant with heaven and earth, uh, that the Eden will keep the Torah. I wouldn't have created the Torah. So he needed a world to fulfill his Torah. I needed to create the people that will use the world to fulfill the Torah. Or he needed to first create a people that will keep the Torah and accommodate them with the world that they need to fulfill that Torah. So we're created for the sake of the Torah. So then you're going to ask, what's so special about the Torah that I need to be created in order to fulfill it? So here's another theory. The Torah was given to refine human beings. That part of us, we're half animal, half angel. And we need the Torah to help refine us so that we could live a more, a holy life. Be holy like I am. Copy me. You need the Torah to give you to to separate you from the animal kingdom, to actually even separate you from the the malachim, from the theological kingdom, from, you know, theology it's called, and the world of malachim. Even that, you need a Torah to make you, your humanness really holy. The only place you can find holiness is within your humanity. Take your humanity and elevate it up to Hashem and consecrate it, and that's how you become holy. So there's another theory. There's another theory that uh, we were created, this is a Kabbalistic theory, to pick up and to some fallen sparks that happened even before we arrived on planet Earth. There's nothing to do with us, not even our responsibility, but to, so to speak, it's called to raise up sparks that happened before this world ever came into being. Kabbalistic theory I have no idea what I'm talking about. Just quoting some Kabbalistic theory that there were, there were some fallen sparks, broken vessels, Kabbalistic terminology. But this theory certainly um, posits that creation, uh, our life work in bringing Kadusha into every molecule of life has nothing to do with it. We did anything wrong. It's just what Hashem wants us to do. To help him. We've become partners with Hashem Master Brashid. As another theory, he created us so that we can be co creators with him. Another theory is he created us so that we can copy him. Whatever we can do to copy him, we become as godlike as possible. Mabmish, almost as, as great as Hashem himself. Almost, we can become. A human being to become almost like Hashem, well, that's. Very cool stuff. That's pretty amazing. So, that's another theory. So, on the other hand... Right. Right, that's the same theory, yeah. There's another theory, 
They created us because he wanted to be a king over us. And you can't be a king if you don't have a person, you know, a sovereignty. You don't have anyone who to be a king over. An empty world, who? Who's worshipping him? Who's proclaiming him as king? So that we reach a stage that his sovereignty will impact and be recognizable and identified on every molecule of life, by every single person, by every single worm. But everybody will be screaming, everybody will be screaming, it's another theory. And then, to top it all off, the Mishnah tells us, forget about everything. You Guess what? You know why you were created? Against your will you were created. Nobody asked you. You were formed against your will. Nobody asked you. Well, common sense tells you. Your birthday tells you. Nobody asked you. Because your birthday tells you that before this day you didn't exist. Having not existed, nobody could have asked you. Would you like to exist? And having not existed, you could never have known the benefits of life as to know to ask for it in order to exist because you didn't exist. Because beings don't exist, don't know how to evaluate the benefit of life to ask for it. So the whole thing happened against your will. So in case you think only that's against your will, I can't lose for you. You were formed against your will. You were created against your will. You live against your will and you'll die against your will. So, man, the whole thing has nothing to do with you to begin with. Forget about all the nice theories that it's created to benefit you. The whole things were forced upon you. Nice, even nicer. Thanks. So everything is great. A person goes against their will. Some people want to continue Looks like it. So why is it not, not possible? No, that's a question. All these theories um, fundamentally contradict each other. I was created for my benefit, but thanks, against my will. Fantastic. Here, go marry this guy. Go force you. Go marry him. And be happy. It's for your benefit. For sure. For sure. Go live in Timbuktu. You must go live in Timbuktu. If not, I'll punish you. It's for your benefit. For sure. I'll be very happy there. So, what, what sense do we... I don't want to. That's why you're alive. So you forced on me. Hmm? So yeah. you forced on me. That's why you're alive. Except for Shem's world. Right. So you forced on me and I'm supposed and to love you for that. Yeah. That's right. And I'm supposed... And I'm supposed to love you for that. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. That, that generates a very lot of love. Well, if you had that kind of attitude. <laughs> within, the human, within the human experience, the generates a lot of love. That's the way you treat your kids? Yeah, because it's for your ultimate good. So th- that is that the way you treat your kids? Do I treat my kids? Yeah. Yeah, I take them for, for injections when they need, and I, whether they like it or not. That's it, yeah. That's one part of life. I give them ice cream and, and chocolate. Yeah, but that's one part of life. Do you always force them into everything? No, but some parts of life, I get food, I get health. But here, we're, but here we're saying you are forced into life, period. You isolated one factor. You're forced into life, period, because you, that is that it's a basic premise of your life, you have no control over anything, and you never will. And right. if a person can't accept that, they're going nowhere in life. Right, so then don't tell me I, created, you were cre- I was creating my pleasure. What do you mean? How, how is that pleasurable? Like, like, how is that pleasurable that, experience? When, when I, when, when you, what 
That's what all narcissists say. That's how narcissists deal with life. I'm doing this. I'm doing this for your sake. I'm doing this for your sake. And no, obviously not. He obviously can't be a narcissist because he expects us not to be, and we have to copy him. So he obviously can't be a narcissist. Narcissism is on the range of mental illness. You can't have such kind of God. But basically, that's the line of narcissists. I'm going to force you into this. It's for your sake, and and if you can appreciate that. Well, we need to find a working relationship. And the work, I can only know how to deal with Hashem through my own very human emotions. And it wasn't my idea to be human, it was His. It wasn't my idea to be emotional. Yeah, at, the, at the end of the day, no matter what it's going to come down to, being able to accept that there are things that Hashem in this world made that we can't understand. And our intellect, as much as we try, will never ever be able to come to 100% understanding of this. Right, but we have an obligation as much as possible to bring ourselves into a situation to love Hashem. So things have to, we have to be comfortable with it. Because this same God, He commands us to love Him. And it wasn't my idea to have emotions. Bechlalma. How do I know? Because before I existed, said my birthday, I didn't know how to give myself emotion. Because I didn't used to exist. So it has to be also emotionally satisfying and compatible. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's just terrorism. It's not, it's, no, it's not, it's not a relationship. That's but that's the no, same... Without knowing it, there are, there's so much pleasure in this world besides... Well, yeah. There's so much... Right. Not only right. bang, 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 bang. Right. Every, everybody benefits from the chesed of Hashem. Right. So, it's a tapestry. Okay. Okay. So you're telling about good, good ways of how to deal with pain. You're giving me some nice rationalistic understanding of how to deal with pain, but it doesn't answer the existential question of for whose sake were we created. It's, it's going to have to be for both. The question is, how do we understand, which way can we... We get pleasure from the pain, and it's also going to be the right thing. Both, it, it, can, it will have to be for both, and what this lesson is dedicated to is explaining how it is for both. It's going to have to be for both. Because if it's not for both, then it's imperfect. And you can't have a perfect God producing something imperfect. True? You're very quiet. I'm listening. Okay, good. All right. Okay, so let's see if we can start figuring out what's going on here. So the answer is that we are talking about two different topics. And these two topics need to have their own categorization. And with this explanation, you'll be able to reconcile all the theories what, that exist. And you'll see how it's actually perfect for both of us. As my sweet student over here, Nahomi said, and got the point of it. Because if a perfect oneness in Hashem must produce a situation where it's good for both. So how do you understand that? So in order to understand that, we have to understand the concept of pleasure. Okay? What we're going to do now is identify some features that, that all pleasure has. All pleasures have some identifiable feature. And what I want you to do now is I want you to bring up in your memory a moment in your life that up to this day you had the most pleasure from that moment. 
whatever it was. Whatever it was that you had the most pleasure from. So just for the sake of... I want you to really think about it. It could be having a baby, marrying off a kid, getting your first grandchild, I don't know, a relationship, whatever it is. I want you to think up. So for the sake of the analogy, I made up this little marshal, this little analogy. of, And it's consistent with all, all the theories that I want to bring into reconciliation. So here's... Uh, since I usually teach teenagers, I came up with this marshal a few years ago, and I feel it covers all the bases, okay? But every, all kind of pleasure has this. So imagine uh, a girl met uh, another girl in camp, a 12th grader, and they became crazy, crazy close friends. And the girl, one of them lived in Chicago. One lived in New York, one in Chicago. So uh, what happens is the camp finishes and the fun ends and um, they can't see each other anymore. So they miss each other very badly. They speak every single day and, you know, pining and longing and all the teenage language that goes along with it. And it's a very um, extremely powerful, intense, loving, strong relationship. And so imagine um, one day the girl from Chicago tells her friend in New York, you know, our family are going to Israel for Sukkot and we have a three-hour layover in JFK. Would you like to come meet with me? So what are the chances that this girl is going to say, yes, I'd I, mean, I would like to come. What are the chances? On a scale of 1 to 10. 10. There's absolutely no way under the sun. She gives her the date. She gives her the terminal. And it's uh, three weeks from now. What do you think she's going to do from now for the next three weeks? Fantasize about the reunion. And I talk for the next three weeks, every single conversation, I can't wait to see you, I can't wait to see you, I can't wait to see you. What are the chances that this girl living in New York is going to forget the date of when her friend is arriving for Chicago? Zero. What are the chances that she forget the, the name of the airport? Zero. What are the chances she forget the, the terminal? That's not zero. What happens if she... Amnesia. <laughs> she so she has a, a, a brain concussion and she forgets. Right. So all, all, all philosophy, all philosophy, always deal with the normal situations of life. If it, and what makes and what makes something abnormal is that it's a departure from the norm. And philosophy identifies norms so that we can learn principles out of it. And the way we can learn principles out of it is because. Well, there's a difference between normal and abnormal, and that's how you can learn norms. So, um, so what are the chances in, uh, that she's going to forget? Zero. What are the chances that she's going to say, oh, forget it, what a bother. I have to go to JFK because you have a layover of three hours. What do you want from my life? What are the chances that this is going to be her emotional reaction? Zero. 
As a matter of fact, she can't wait for it. She can't, cannot believe her luck that this happened. She won the lottery out of the blue. She gave her a gift that her family decided to go to her throne. And what? She literally is counting the minutes. One of the chances that it so happens to be that when she was in camp, she one day wore something that she herself wasn't sure if she likes it, if she doesn't like it. And she asked this friend, you like it? She said, if you really ask me the honest truth, if you, if you ask me the truth, believe me, you're going to pay for it. It's not exactly my taste, no, but you can wear it. What are the chances that given that her friend commented this on this one outfit that she has, and she has 10 other outfits, that she's going to wear exactly what her friend said something negative about? What are the chances that she's going to wear it just in that, those two hours? Zero, right? Okay, now supposing what she calls, she says to her, you know, I'm thinking you've got a 10-hour flight to Israel. Is there anything I can bring you from Borough Park? So um, she says, no, I don't want to bother you. Never going to take with food. She says, bother? Please, be my biggest pleasure under the sun if I know that I can bring you something that you can enjoy. Finally, she gets out of her a piece of precious information after lots of prodding. She says, you know Strauss Bakery? I love their chocolate delicious. I had it once and I thought this must be a taste of heaven. She says, for sure, for sure. She said, only if you near, live near them. Please, I couldn't care how far I need to walk to Strauss Bakery. I will bring you. How many Danishes is she bringing her from Strauss Bakery? For sure, more than one. Is that true? What are the chances that she'll bring that she'll go past Strauss Bakery a week in advance? That she'll say, "Forget it. I'll buy today, so it'll be a week old. Nothing will happen. She'll not be so spoiled. Nice enough for me to bring her Danish. So it'll be stale a week. What will happen? What are the chances she's going to say that? Zero. She's not giving her a stale bakery. She's going before. She's making sure they baked it today. She's making sure it's chocolate and it's not cinnamon. She's buying more than one. What are the chances that, let's say, she buys five of them, okay? What are the ch chances that when she gives it to her, she's going to say, now please give me back the money for it. And if I says, oh, wow, you brought me five dentures, let me pay you. Is she going to take back the money? Or non-existent now let's go from the other end okay this girl it happens to be she's taking a flight not with her family for whatever reason she's coming alone to her bad luck she left her bag of food in chicago and she also didn't eat before she left and one thing she knows when she comes and she can't wait to see her friend finally she is having chocolate danishes. Now, there's only one person in the whole JFK who is in possession of the knowledge that she is craving chocolate danishes, kosher chocolate danishes from Strauss Bakery, and she is actually going to have it. There's no one else in the whole JFK who can give this to her because no one else is in possession of that knowledge. There's a piece of private information that she shared only with this friend. Now, on a scale of 110... Why is she more excited for? Yes, the whole flight in from Chicago, she's dreaming and craving and salivating and her mouth is already watering at the thoughts of the chocolate danishes. But what deep down in the heart of hearts, why is she more excited for? To see her friend and finally be in her embrace and have a reunion or to eat the chocolate danishes? Which pleasure is a greater, deeper pleasure? Yeah. 
meet her friend. So let's say somebody asks her friend, she, can you do something for me? She said, no, I have to go to JFK now. So why are you going to JFK? To give someone chocolate Danish. For this you go to JFK? How much does it cost you a car? How much does it cost you? The, the, the two, yeah, the two, the two journey, airport journeys just to give someone chocolate Danishes? No, she's not going to give chocolate Danishes. She is going to meet her friend. That's the one primary reason she's going to meet her friend. But who can deny the enormous, enormous, indescribable, incalculable, infinite, intense pleasure it gives her that when she goes to JFK to meet her friend, she's also bringing her something that she loves and that she wants and that only she can bring her and it's only in Borough Parks, nowhere else. It adds to the pleasure. It's a whole different experience. She feels so good about it. We don't even know who's getting more pleasure, the one who's giving the one who's taking. Now, supposing the actual moment has actually arrived. She's at the right terminal, in the right place, and from afar she begins to see the silhouette of her friend walking towards her and finally, they're in each other's embrace. Now, <coughs> how unlikely are any of these two in that moment to start obsess obsessing and ask themselves the following question? One second, one second, one second. I can't enjoy in this reunion until I figure out something. Who is getting more pleasure out of this reunion? Are you getting more pleasure or me getting more pleasure? Until I don't know the actual truth on who's getting more pleasure out of this, I can't enjoy the moment. Couldn't care. If your greatest moment of pleasure till now, when I ask you to think, bring up in your memory a moment of great pleasure, if I was having your first baby, and 10 minutes after you look at your first baby ever in your life, and you think he or she is the most beautiful creature that was ever created on planet Earth, how likely are you in that minute to start obsessing and think, for whose sake did I bother to have this baby? For myself, because I want to have a baby, because I want to perpetuate my memory, because I want to live on forever through my children, because I want to be like the rest of society, because I want to be able to go out with a carriage, because I want to have who to marry off, because I want to be part of everything, because it's, it's lonely myself. Or for the sake of this child, to give a life to a human being, what he could be, could be the biggest Talmud Chochem, be the biggest contributor to humanity, could be the biggest Baal Chesed. I wanted to selflessly give life to this human being. That moment of pure, unadulterated, blissful <coughs> joy, in that moment, you really couldn't care who's going to get more pleasure out of this situation. You couldn't care. All you know is bliss, bliss, bliss. It's like when you get engaged, when you get married, when you marry off a kid. How like you are at the height of the wedding festivities, at the height of the peak mode of celebration, to start obsessing. One second, one second, one second. For whose sake is this? Who is getting more pleasure out of it? Me marrying off the kids or the kids who are getting married? Or me or my husband? Or me or my husband? Or me or the other side? Who is getting more pleasure out of this? You don't care. This is bliss. So the first thing is that the nature of pure, unadulterated pleasure is, at that moment, you don't care for whose sake it was created. I just love this. And then think about the girl who's finally sinking her teeth into that delicious, fresh, warm chocolate Danish. And she happens to be starving also. 
How likely is she at that moment as she's enjoying every single bite? How likely is she at that moment to say, one second, one second, one second, one second. I cannot enjoy the Danish fully until I figure out for whose pleasure with this chocolate Danish created. For Mr. Strauss, so he can have a source of sustenance. For the trucker who brought the flour so that Strauss can bake it. For the woman who served it to me. For the guy who makes the graphics on the chocolate, on the cocoa, so that he can have what to live off. One second, one second, one second. For the guy who produces the ovens for Strauss Bakery. Or for me, for whose pleasure with this chocolate Danish created? She couldn't care. This chocolate Danish is delicious. And the same thing, the girl who has this enormous pleasure of seeing her sinking her teeth into the chocolate bean, Danish and literally enjoying every bite. At that moment, she can swear that she's having more pleasure out of watching her enjoy the chocolate Danish than the person who claims that she's having more pleasure out of eating it. She said, don't be ridiculous. I'm doing the one eating it to my mouth, not in your mouth. How can you be having more pleasure? Yeah, but you don't get it. I'm having more pleasure giving you the pleasure. The argument can go on forever because they're both in it together, just as you said. Perfect means they both have to be in it together. Another feature that pleasure has in it is it also causes you to forget and not care about how much effort it took you to get to this pivotal, peak, dreamed-for, utopian moment. For example, if somebody would say to this girl, Whoa! You came all the way to JFK just to see your friend from Chicago and just to give her chocolate danishes? In that moment, like, you're kidding? To go to JFK is a joke, a pathetic joke, paltry, small price to pay for the pleasure of seeing my friend. What are you talking about? I'm dreading that soon our time will be up a chance to get onto the plane. This is my dream for a moment. What's $100 to see her? What's $10 for Danishes? That's a cheap, small price. What are you talking about? The kind of pleasure I'm getting cannot be bought for any money under the sun. Well, what's this? In that minute, true pleasure in that minute has the capability that no matter what it costs you, financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, no matter what price you paid to get to this moment of pleasure, Everything fails in comparison to the enormous pleasure you're experiencing right now. Another feature of pleasure has is that also causes you to forget the pain that it took you to get there. Let's say you were in a situation that did not come to you easily, but then the pleasure that you reaped out of it is beyond, beyond your wildest. In that minute, if somebody would to ask you, was it worth your while, all the bother that you took to get into this moment of pleasure, you will say a resounding yes. And if somebody were to ask this, these two girls in the peak moment of the pleasure of their embrace, if somebody would ask them, was it worth your while being created and existing and living just for this peak moment now of meeting up with your friend? She will say a resounding yes. And it's something to ask her, and had you known ahead of time, before you went to camp, and before you ever started your life, had you known ahead of time, everything that you had to go through 
to achieve this peak moment of pleasure, whatever it is, would you say life was worth living up till now? They will say yes. Because at the moment of pleasure, obviously common sense tells you that if you don't exist, you can't experience any pleasure. But what pleasure has in it is this huge, huge, huge amnesia, anesthetic, whatever you want to call it, narcotic, puts you out, drug. Pleasure is such a heavy, 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 heavy drug that causes you to forget any pain or bother that it took you to get to that moment of pleasure. And another thing that um, pleasure has in it is at that moment of pleasure, you have this enormous desire that it's such an amazing moment that you don't want it to stop forever. You just want it to go on and on and on forever. And it doesn't get, it's not boring. You're not bored at your children's chasna. Who's bored at the children's chasna? Who, when the music is, the chasna feels like five minutes. Right? Whoever married off kids. You married off kids? How long does it take? From when people start to come and wish you mother till the midst of times? Five minutes. Can't believe it. All the chonas, that chonas, that chonas, it takes five minutes. And for the other person, it was like, you know, really not five minutes to get to you. And you greeted very many people. You hosted very many people. And it was some bother to get to that day. We will admit. But everything fails in comparison. You're finally walking and down the chuppah and you're finally going around. And then when the music starts and the color comes in, forget it. Everything was worth it. Was it worth existing for this day? Of course. Was it worth having the kids up to there? Was it raising the kids for this day? Of course. So that's basically, in a nutshell, the features of pleasure. So now let's see if all our theories that we start out with can be reconciled with this theory. Now, of course, yeah. Of course, you were created against your will. You were created against your will because have you, having not existed, you had to be forced into creation. But what Hashem is saying is, listen here, I'm Hashem. I can do anything I want. Yes, I created you for my sake. It had to have been for my sake because you didn't exist. So it couldn't have been for your sake. Common sense tells you, logic tells you that beings that didn't exist couldn't have been created for their couldn't have asked to, to, to exist. It was for my sake. I created you for my sake because I wanted to give you the pleasure of getting to know me, co-partnering with me in my separations, being my shudok, me, my partner. I wanted to tell you how to do that by giving you the Torah. And only you Jewish people are in possession of that precious knowledge that I want a chocolate Danish from Strauss. So you're the only ones who can give me that pleasure. You can get special reward for being the only ones who are in such an exclusive, personal, deeply um, loving relationship with me that you're the only ones who possess this knowledge that only through keeping my mitzvahs and my Torah are you the able to want to give me the pleasure of giving you the pleasure of experiencing what I want to achieve for this world. Yes, a melech bliyam, that was for me, true. But listen here, I'm Hashem. I know, I can do anything I want, I'm God. I w can guarantee you that I will give you so much pleasure in the end, 
in the afterlife when everything is finished up, the rectification and all the fallen sparks are raised and everybody fixed themselves up nicely and we're all nice, all nice cleaned up and recycled and rehabilitated and reconstructive surgery, everything is nice, perfect, good to go. After all our reincarnations and our journeys and our mishaps and our spills and our mismatches and our and of all that and our temporary amnesia and our long-term amnesia and our everything about it, we're all nice cleaned up and fixed up. Everything, all thing. Shem says, I'm a Shem. I can do anything I want. I have all the pleasure to give you. All the pleasures that exist, I created them. I create them to give you the pleasure. It's my greatest pleasure to give you pleasure. And I know, I can guarantee you that the day will come that you will have so much pleasure that if somebody will ask you, was it worth your while going through all the pain and passages and of all your lives and all the suffering and all the losses and all the mishaps and all the disappointments and all the anxiety and all the near-death experiences and all the times you thought, that's it, I can't go on one more minute longer and all the feelings of abandonment and everything and everything and everything and everything. Was it worth your while to come to this moment of pleasure in the afterlife that will exist forever and ever and ever eternally was it worth your while you will say a resounding yes i and can guarantee you says hashem that in that moment of pleasure you are not going to start obsessing for whose sake i created you you're going to say hashem honestly i don't care if this was for your sake this is good this was worth it. This was fun. This was amazing. For everything, yes, yes, yes. Despite everything I went through, believe me, I can't imagine a greater, deeper pleasure, a de greater, deeper kindness on your behalf that you offer to humanity that you should arrive at this moment. And with this, we reconcile all the theories together. All the theories are 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 thing that and somebody asked me on Friday a great question. God is her She asked me, "How do I know that Hashem loves me unconditionally?" And the answer is, the, because the condition by which He decided to create you was already met. He decided to create you to love you. Hashem he created you to love you. It's not as if he created you and he looked at you and he said, you know, she came out not bad, quite lovable, quite charming. I think I'm going to love her. Because if he wanted to, you should come out more charming and more lovable. He should have done that. Because nobody is stopping him. He can do what he wants. So he decided to create you exactly the way you look because he thought this is how you should look so that you're as lovable as possible to him. And he created you only to love you for no other reason. And he isn't changing his mind. He's not moody. He's not hormonal. He has no reason to change his mind. And he has no peer pressure. And he has no to defeat his plans. So he's not changing his mind. There's no reason for it. He created you for one purpose. So the condition under which he created you was already met when he created you. The condition was that you will have to be a created being that's alive so that he can love you and you will reciprocate that love. How will you reciprocate that love? By doing things that he loves, like mitzvahs, 
That's the chocolate danishes he loved. Remember, there was only one person in the whole JFK who is in, who is in possession of that knowledge. So this girl flying in from Chicago is totally dependent on this one friend of the whole JFK who can at this moment fulfill her needs completely and fulfill her desire and a craving for chocolate danish because no one else knows about it. It's only the Jewish nation who is capable of fulfilling Hashem's needs, wants, desires that we should fulfill his Torah that he gave us. Therefore, he ends up saying, I created this nation for me. It has the exclusivity factor in it. No one else can fulfill Hashem's desire as deeply as the Jewish nation who committed themselves to fulfill his desire. Because no one else is in possession of that knowledge because we're the only ones who accepted the Torah. They give us the technical details of what we need to do in order to fulfill Hashem's desire. We're the only one who knows what chocolate dishes he likes. We're the only ones who know how to bake it. We're the only ones who know how to give it to him. We're the only ones who know how to, how to, how to fulfill his desire. So we're going to end up praising him the most for the pleasure of giving him the, the desire, of fulfilling his desire. What to do something for his sake means to have more pleasure out of fulfilling his needs than out of the future, but you can't even imagine the future pleasure that you'll have in Olam Abba for the afterlife. Right now, you don't care. Do something small means, it's like, it's that girl saying, I promise you I have more pleasure from seeing you eat the chocolate danish that I brought with my money, with my bother, with my effort. And by the way, I don't live near Strauss. And I went specially today that it should be fresh for you. But I have more pleasure from you eating it than 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 you eating it. And so let's say this girl responds, can you imagine what's how you're going to get in 50 years from now? Because 50 years from now, I will have used already 50 years of life living off the energy from the chocolate day she gave me right now. She's... For my dear friend, I really honestly couldn't care about 50 years right now. Just to seeing you sink your teeth into the chocolate Danish and seeing the chocolate oozing and running into your mouth right now couldn't be more pleasure for me. I don't, right now, I don't care about 50 years from now. It doesn't make any difference in my life. This is enough pleasure for me to last, to last a lifetime, believe me. Just the, the thing. I actually want to have a picture of you eating this chocolate Danish. I want to remember this for life. Because I'm having more pleasure out of it. And she starts arguing, don't be ridiculous. I'm having more pleasure. You know what? You can argue all you want. This is good stuff. Actually, I don't care. And I don't care about 50 years right now. Doing something with means that you say to Hashem, you know what? Honestly, I'm not really worried about you. I trust you. I trust you. It'll be good. It'll be great. But right now, if I have opportunity to do a mitzvah that gives you pleasure, I couldn't be happier. You can get there. You could. You could. Yeah, you could. Well, if you wouldn't, if you carry the lechadav, my be If Hashem demands of you, the yikri teruma lilishmi. If Hashem demands you, la avda bechalavavchem. If demands you, alto yevodim kabs shamtes rav day lekabel price. Hashem demands you that you should serve as Hashem lishma va'oisa tavoid. Then every mitzvah is is close to you and easy to do. If you carry the lechadav, my be fichavav chalatzoisa.
Every single thing is close and easy to do. The point of lishma means that I get more pleasure out of the idea that I'm so cool and I'm so powerful that I shouldn't actually pleasure my creator no less, despite the fact that I'm such a pathetic being that I don't eat for six hours, hours I'm quite out of it. If I don't eat for 12 hours, I certainly am I'm not really so good fun to talk to. And despite the fact of my physical patheticness, that I have such power that I actually know how to create angel. You see, a Darwin Tzmeachayim Adaba, an inanimate object and a Tzmeach, a, a plant, and a Chay, an animal, and a Madaba, a human being, I have no idea how to create with my own bare hands without resources. But angels, yeah, I'm good at that. Yeah, I can do that. How often can I do that? Oh, I can do that. I know how to do that once a minute. I know how to create angels once a minute. I'm good at that. I'm just, just what, what do you do? What do you do on an average day? You're Jewish. Yeah. What do you do on an average day? I manufacture angels. Really? How many? A few hundred a day at the least. How do you do that? Well, I'm Jewish. I wake up in the morning. I wash my hands. There's an angel for me. I eat. I make uh, my blessings. There's about 10 angels for me. I make the right blessings. I eat kosher food. I make the right blessings after my meal. I uh, I do my prayers. I wear Tania's clothing. I, that's what I do for a living. I manufacture angels. And I average day a few thousand. Where, my goodness, where do you store the angels? God stores them for me in a nice storehouse. That's what I do for a living. It's unbelievable. That's a really cool stuff. Oh, I can't believe it. How, what resources do you need for that? Oh, nothing. I just have to think some nice thoughts, like some godly thoughts. You know, when I can, I have my sandwich and I say, you know, dear God, I hope with this, the strength of this sandwich, I hope to serve you even better. Oh, and I've got myself some really powerful, big, big buster angels that could beat anybody flat. Oh, what do you use on angels? Oh, I, I summon them at will when I need them. It's just, a, it's just a great life. And what do you need that? You need to be very, what you, I guess you have to be very strong for that. Oh no, I don't feel strong for that. I can be weak as a fly. I could be sick to a, like a dog. I, I manufacture angels when I have the flu. I manufacture angels when I have allergies. I manufacture angels in the dentist chair. In the dentist chair, you're crazy. I'm sorry for all the wrong things I said with my mouth. I manufacture tons over there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I guess you need a lot of money for that. I don't know money for that. I manufacture more angels when I'm poor. I'm more desperate. <laughs> I pray. I pray much harder. What do you need to do? What do you need for that? Oh, nothing. You just need to be Jewish. Oh, my. Where do you sign up? Oh, that's quite, quite a cool life. That's not bad. How big is one angel? The Medra says that it takes three angels to fill, to fill the entire cosmos, the entire world. That's how big one angel is. A third of the world. Hello? How many of them do you have? I have millions. Every day I get more. No one can get rid of them for me. Yeah, I just have to think, I just have to think something nice about someone. I'm good to go. I probably won't talk Russian horror about them. Because I, I thought something nice about them. That's not bad. So when we get to heaven, we see the millions of angels. We won't believe our luck. And even in, 
Even in this world, once we get our concepts straight, that the greatest pleasure we can have is to give Hashem his chocolate Danish shit. At this point, we're not going to really care who's getting anything out of it. At this point, it's like, you know what? Honestly, I couldn't care for whose sake you created me. And really, I don't care if it's for your sake. I'm liking this. I like this powerful idea. I'm just liking it. Just keep me hanging on in there. Keep me alive and kicking. Because since you, since you didn't exist, you had to be forced into existence. You couldn't have been asked ahead of time. Right, it's a good question. Okay, that's a great, that's a great question. The answer is that we suffer from amnesia. We suffer from our pre-life experience where we actually did go along and ask. Once we were created, we uh, did go along and ask to have this life that we have right now. But the only way that we can um, gain the true merit and the true reward for going through our sufferings is if we forget that we signed up on this particular program. So in that sense, you know, we'd be worse off not living and not finishing up this time around. Now, unfortunately, some people just don't finish up and they have to recycle. That's why recycling is in nowadays, because we're the last generation. <laughs>